Warning, the following podcast contains adult language and childish comedy. Listener discretion is advised. And now, please adjust your headphone volume to an unreasonable level and enjoy the most dynamic and electrifyingly entertaining podcast ever to conquer cyberspace. Hello, friends, and welcome to the most powerful podcast ever created, the amazing pop culture podcast starring Dags and Rez. Today, another powerful episode. We are going way back to 1981, August 7th of that year, to discuss the powerfully Canadian animated film, Heavy Metal. And now, somewhere deep in cyberspace is Magical Micro DJ Rez. New phone, who dis? Hey, what's up? What's Amazing up? friends, Dags. God, what has it been like a fortnight? It's as been the a kids while. would say. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, kids and their crazy sayings. Yes, we took the holidays off to celebrate with your family. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And how how well we enjoyed everything. Yes, we did. Now, Micro DJ Rez, we're back. Today we're going to discuss the powerfully animated film Heavy Metal from our friends from the Great White North. Canada. Before we get into that, we just want to welcome new listeners. If you're new to the show, what it is is me and DJ Micah Rez discussing, having fun, looking back, looking to the future, not enjoying the present, and just having a good time. <laughs> That's right. All we do is look back. Speaking of looking back, Dags, are you upset that they've rebooted and remade Night Court? You know, I'm not. Really? I probably should. i'm kind of ambivalent i'm kind of detached it's kind of cool to see uh what's his name though john larroquette dan fielding yes yeah it's good that he's working again yeah i don't i don't know i back in the day that i wasn't the biggest fan of that show so it's not hit me like they're doing a remake of different strokes or something right yeah uh, one thing that I, I realized, and I didn't know, but I found out because of the reboot and me looking into it, John Larroquette did the original narration for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He did? I don't, he, yeah. It's like, what the hell? It's, I didn't know that, and I just found that out. The more you know, as they say. Yes, I'll pretend I didn't know that. Okay. All right. Thanks. Yes. Thanks for doing that. <laughs> no, but that, that, is, that is powerful <laughs> trivia. Yes, that's right. If people go to the bar and that ever comes up, they'll know now. Yes, you are absolutely correct. Now, Micro DJ Rez, before we get into this powerful film, I want to talk a little bit about how you can hang out with us on the internet. The best way is to get on Twitter and follow us at Amazing Pop Pod and at Mike Rez Radio. Isn't that true, Micro DJ Rez? That words have never been more truer than that, actually. At Mike Rez Radio, everywhere on the interwebs, and then at Amazing Pop Pod. You can, you know, we we kind of buried the lead. You can actually visit MikeRezRadio.com now, which is kind of like a nutty, crazy thing. Yes, that has happened. Tell us a little bit about your radio station. Uh yes, it's a uh, online radio station, which uh, can be found at MikeRezRadio.com, my website. 
There's a uh, player in the middle of the homepage. You can find out my uh, not so interesting things about me, why I have a big ego. And then you can also download the MicroS radio app and you can listen to whoever's playing uh, on the radio station there. Okay, enough about you. Let's get back to the amazing <laughs> pop culture podcast. All right, sounds yes. good. So make sure you follow us on Twitter <laughs> at Amazing Pop Pod. Like our Facebook page. Please subscribe to our powerful YouTube channel. The latest video is featuring the egotistical Micro DJ Res, <laughs> and he is reviewing flavored. I'm not going to tell you what flavor you got to go there. Follow us, subscribe, like all that jazz on YouTube. They're candy canes, and they're. Whoa. strangely and oddly flavored that is correct yes it's i think we need to start going down the oddly flavored candy cane route or yes. at least i do anyway yes so. are you thinking there's of a, more than one are you thinking of a new flavor i don't have one in mind but this company that i got these flavored candy canes from makes different flavored candy canes so i think we have to we have to try them for the for the amazing friends for the people so so they don't have to if they don't want to but then they can even try it for themselves if they wanted to yes so micro dj res let's talk about the film heavy metal which came out in august 7th of 1981 now right away i want to get into the soundtrack because when you hear heavy metal right away you go to music which is of kind course. of ironic because it's not heavy metal music but it's rock and it's pop music of the time 1981 so let's get into the the soundtrack now the soundtrack sure. kind of had a weird thing because the movie came out in 1981 but for legal reasons they couldn't release it on cd until 1995 the big breakout song from that was heavy metal taking a ride by don felder it was actually released as a single and then it reached all the way up 43 on the billboard hot 100 mm, our favorite hot yes. 100 and made it up all the way up to number five on the mainstream rock chart. And that was September 19th, 1981. Now, Mike or DJ Rez, when, when you were watching this film, what are some of the songs that stuck out to you? And which ones did you enjoy the most? Uh, the one that I, I liked uh, was Blue Land by Stevie Nicks. Because, of course, I'm a huge Stevie Nicks fan. And that was uh, also included on her Belladonna album. My the one that I, I recognized right away by a group, and I think it's the only one that's actually performed in the movie was the one by Devo. Actually, they have two in there, I believe, but the one working working in the coal mine. Yes, that was on um, the ending credits. Yeah, and then there was also the one they actually was it fifty one fifty is the one they play in the through being in the cool? movie. Yeah. Oh, is that the one through being cool? We're through being cool. <laughs> that's, but that's the one where there's like they actually have characters in the movie singing that song it's a weird weird looking band as I think the lead singer has some kind of lazy eye thing going on and one of the guitar players is playing with a, a blindfold on over his face you know it's just pretty funny uh, situation in that one but yeah there's some sweet music throughout the entire thing and it, it uh, like the one that threw me off was Open Arms by Journey It's <laughs> <laughs> very touching Oh yeah, that was uh, that was pretty pretty funny. I wasn't expecting that one. I was like, "What the fuck, Journey's here?" <laughs> so, and that, that actually is the on the outside looking in, you would expect nothing but like rock and heavy metal type music, and then here comes Journey, and that really threw everything off. Which it sounded like it threw a lot of of the critics off at the time too. What are some songs that stuck out to you? Well, before that, it it is kind of weird because it 
it's from the magazine slash comic book, sci-fi, whatever you want to call it, heavy metal. Right. And right away, that throws people off. I mean, I even saw reviews where they said, oh, the music, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's not about the music. But as far as songs, I'm thinking right away, Don Felder, heavy metal. That one, to me, it's powerful. Not the, not the heavy metal by Sammy Hagar. I enjoy that. I like Sammy Hagar. There's other songs I like better, but that was good. Right. Of course, I love Devo. So working in a coal mine, you're talking about through being cool. And <laughs> Journey was funny. <laughs> yeah, I just kinda, it's kind of like they just threw it in there. Kind of like they just threw it in there just to, just to see if anyone was paying attention. Almost. <laughs> <laughs> and I was. I was paying attention. <laughs> yeah. So if I had to pick one out of there... When I think of the movie, when I think of the visuals and the songs, is Don Felder. Yeah, and Blue Oyster Cult has got some songs in here, too. And yes. uh, that's uh, another, you know, one favorite of mine. I, those songs in particular aren't favorites of mine, but Blue Oyster Cult, you know, like with uh, Don't Fear the Reaper and Burning for You are the two that I like the most. Yeah, I don't have a lot of info on how they actually picked the songs, but that would have been interesting, too. I wonder if there's someone out there, if you know the decisions on how they chose the songs for the soundtrack, for the movie, let us know. Follow us on Twitter, at AmazingPopPod. Shoot us a tweet. Fill us in. Now, Micro DJ Res, this was a powerful anthology, and it starred stars of SCTV, Second City Television. Yeah, it was almost like they... We're like, well, we need some Canadian people, and SCTV's pretty big now, so let's just go there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, it started out with soft landing. Space shuttle's flying over, and all of a sudden a Corvette pops out, and an, <laughs> and an astronaut is flying it. And right away, all I could think of was Tesla, Elon Musk, when Starman was driving the Tesla ro- uh, Roadster in space. Do you remember that? I do, and actually, that's what I was thinking. Is that, was that where Elon Musk got the idea? Absolutely. Because it was like, I'm watching it, and I'm going, okay, I've seen this before. <laughs> and, and it looks almost identical to, to what's going on in the movie, which I think it was pretty funny. Yeah, and I was also getting a huge MTV vibe from it, too. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Which is kind of crazy, because MTV debuted... August 1st, 1981, and this movie came out August 7th of 1981. They call that a ironic coincidence. Is that I what they call it? The, that's what they call it. Well, I don't call it. The kids call it that. Yeah. So. But I, I love that space. Vibe. What did you think of that opening scene? Um, I thought it was pretty cool. I like that, uh, you know, they show them dropping out and coming through the Earth's orbit and surviving <laughs> entry into the Earth's orbit in a Corvette and, and some windshield wipers. Don't forget that. Oh, that was great. Yeah. Fired and up then, the windshield uh, wipers. Yeah, yeah, you got to brush off all the the ash and the, and the burning stuff that gets collected on your windshield. The intergalactic stuff. Yeah. I wasn't quite sure what I was in for because I'd never seen the movie, never heard of the, I mean, I've heard of the movie, but never heard of heavy metal magazine i didn't you know wasn't quite sure what was happening so i thought okay so this is how the story's gonna start and, and it does uh in a roundabout way that way i just and but it does set it up for okay you're in for something a little fun and a little wacky 
uh, to be entertained and not take this movie too seriously. After the intro, soft landing, let's get into Grimaldi. Tell us a little bit about that. That's when the actual astronaut in that sweet Corvette arrives home. Yeah, so he gets out of the car, and that's where Grimaldi starts. Um, He's an astronaut that is home, and uh, his daughter greets him as he gets home, and he tells her that you know that he he has brought something back a souvenir for her and then as he opens up this case that is when a big green sphere rises up and instantly melts him which also sets up a lot of that going on in the movie then as it melts him the uh, sphere introduces itself as the sum of all evils it's Lochnar, and he decides to show her what he has been up to in his existence. So he's gone from civilization to civil civilization, causing havoc and creating wars and mutants and destruction and violence in his path. Now what that scene reminded me when he opened the case and he got vaporized, melted, whatever you want to say, a couple of things came to mind. Raiders of the lost Ark. Oh yeah. <laughs> and absolutely. And the trunk of the car and repo man. Powerful film, oh, 1984. Yep. <laughs> That's right. So this movie came out in 1981, well before 1984. It's influencing things left and right. I'm trying to think of other movies, you know, they made an homage to that in Pulp Fiction with the glowing briefcase. This movie kind of reminded me of Pulp Fiction with all the, the different uh, vignettes that connect everything yes. with the one, one central figure yes. in all of it I, I love anthologies like that with one central theme like snatch was cool all, all the stories came together <laughs> pulp fiction right <laughs> so next we go into harry canyon dags and it's about a uh, crime-ridden new york it's like a dystopian future in 2031 so we're we're moving forward and we're actually not too far away from what this New York city is supposed to look like. Um, and it, uh, follows a, uh, cruddy cynical taxi cab driver named Harry Canyon, which is a pretty hilarious name evokes, <laughs> evokes images of Harry Canyons. And it's him narrating it in like a film noir style, which I think is pretty clever, you know, and he's got like that act, you know, what, uh, that accent, New York East Coast accent. He's like, oh, Harry Canyon, I'm a taxi driver here in this godforbidden town. You know, just kind of uh, adds to the ambiance of what he's feeling. But in this story, he helps a good looking young woman flee people who are trying to kill her. And they've already murdered her, her father um, because he's found the Loch Nahr. Um, and they want it back. Some alien civilization wants it back, and he ends up saving her life, tries to go to the police department. They're not much help, and he ends up taking her back to his apartment uh, where they spend the night va-va-voom style, Um, and then the next day, the police are looking for her. She's gone. He can't figure out where she's at. She sends a message via 
robot because we're in the future. And uh, from there, he helps her do a little swap. They're going to split the money. And she tries to do the old double cross, which doesn't work out well for her. And uh, that's pretty much the end of the of the story. They kind of move pretty quick in some of these. And this one is kind of like a medium length story, but a lot of action happens in a slow amount of time. Yes. So I had huge Blade Runner vibes. True. And yep. Blade Runner came out the next year in 1982. And it's also got big time Fifth Element vibes. Mobius, who did the animation on this, also worked on the Fifth Element. So I'm, oh, thinking, interesting. That, I'm thinking that's where they got the ideas from. Yep. It also reminded me of uh, Bubblicious commercials in the 80s. <laughs> so if you look up the Ultimate the Bubble. Sex scene? The ultimate bubble, bubblicious. You look at that, that's what it reminds me of. <laughs> yeah, pull a lot of elements. I mean, you could tell a lot of movies have pulled a lot of elements from the, just that little, what was that, like a 22-minute story? And it just, it seemed, it was like, you could just like pick out three or four different movies. It seems like the movie influenced a lot of things. I'm going to, I'm probably going to keep saying that throughout this episode. That's fine. Then we get to the... The next part, Den, which was uh, John Candy. <laughs> Obviously, John Candy in this one, his voice pops right out. Right. So it starts out of this dorky teenager in the backyard, finds a meteorite, brings it into his room. And during an experiment with lightning, I don't know, he was channeling Ben Franklin. <laughs> and Frankenstein. Yes. Yeah, it, it energizes the Lochnar and throws him into this cool space-time continuum tunnel where he travels through into the world of Neverwhere and he morphs into a powerfully naked, muscular man <laughs> named Dan. Which, you know, I mean, how realistic is that and how many people have wanted yes. to do that? Yes, yes. And then, and then he shows up and he's uh, witnessing a ritual with a nubile young lady. <laughs> About to be sacrificed, and then he jumps in to save the day. And then those two are going to start hooking up because he saves her, and then he gets interrupted. Yeah, cock-blocked more by, like. By the minions, Vardy, and then they take him <laughs> to see the king, and the king is like, you got to do this for me, and he's like, why do I have to? And then he orders his dudes to castrate him. <laughs> well, which is an odd yes. <laughs> demand, but <Yes>. whatever. <laughs> and then he tries to shoot the king and then he heals up immediately like wolverine yeah he's got damage points like you wouldn't believe yeah and then he's got his lady friend encased in glass kind of like sleeping beauty so he uh offers dan a deal he's got to get the lochnar from the queen and bring it to him and then he'll release the young lady and then dan takes off with uh nori soldier of ards and then they're uh, promptly caught by the Queen's guards. But then, <laughs> then she says she'll <laughs> let them off the hook if they have sex together. Of course. Typical Queen. Yeah, he escapes because he uh, having sex with the Queen was just enough distraction for uh, his team to steal the Lochnar back. And they they race back to, to or Den races back to rescue Catherine because he knows that she's going to be killed either way unless he does something to help her. Because she's going to be sacrificed for the second time in a day, which really has to suck for her. And uh, after that, Den decides that uh, while the 
the king and the queen are fighting over the Loch Nahr. He was going to uh, redo the experiment he did back on Earth and um, with the lightning storm going on. And he puts uh, one end of a chain <laughs> in the water, throws the other end of the chain, I think around the Loch Nahr staff, and the, uh, the lightning electrocutes the king and the queen both and sends them what we can only imagine is to Earth. And then uh, at the end, Den and Catherine right off into the sunset, not wanting to go back to Earth. Yes. And then the Loch Why, why would you want to? No. Yeah. He's, Especially when you're muscular as him, yeah. bald, good looking. Yes. He's just this dweeb on Earth, and there he's something. Right, yeah. Hooked up with two ladies in the same day. And then the Loch takes off into outer space and ends up on a space station. And we go to the story of Captain Stern, Lincoln F. Stern. This guy is on trial for numerous charges. 12 counts of murder in the first degree, 14 counts of armed theft of Federation property, 22 counts of piracy in high space, 18 counts of fraud, 37 counts of rape, and one moving violation. Yeah, they'll get you all the time with that moving violation. So, of course, he pleads not guilty, but his lawyer is freaking out. And then he goes, don't worry about it. I got it covered. <laughs> <laughs> like so, they all do. <laughs> yeah, so he bribed a dude named Hanover Fist. You love the names in this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll start, we'll start over. So Hanover Fist, while he's walking, he finds the Lochnar, and it's just a small little marble on the ground. So it's kind of weird how the scale changes in every story well, i have a the theory yes i have us. a theory about that so my theory is that the lochner doesn't change size the people that it encounters is are changing sizes so you've got some smaller people or species encountering it and then you've got some giant species encountering Interesting. it yes so that's my theory the yes. lochner is not changing size it's the people around it interesting may or may not be correct <laughs> <laughs> it's open to interpretation okay so they got they got hanover fist on the under oath saying what a great guy he is but then you can see the Lochnar is starting to affect hanover fist and he starts telling what he what he what a guy <laughs> what kind of guy he really is right <laughs> and then he basically transforms into the incredible hulk yeah, I was going to say he hulks out. He does. On, on the stand. He goes crazy and starts destroying everything. And then he chases him down. And then eventually, the rat he is, Captain Stern, pays him out what he said he'd pay him to lie on, on the stand. And then he shrinks back to normal. And then he does the old trapdoor <laughs> bit. <laughs> yeah, fell for it. And then he falls into space. Burning up on re-entry of the planet, I'm assuming planet Earth, and all you see is the Loch Nahr in the hand, the burning hand of Hanover Fist. Yeah, it's amazing that your fist, when you're named Hanover Fist, is the only thing that survives re-entry into, it's awesome. into the Earth's atmosphere again. There's a lot of re-entries yes. in the Earth's atmosphere. And then that brings us to B-17. So we go all the way back to World War II, B-17 bomber named the Pacific Pearl. It's making a bombing run and a anti-aircraft ACAC fire is just blowing the shit out of this thing. It destroys it. Yeah. And then you got the poor guys in the back and the gunner positions and they're all getting blown up. And then the co-pilot 
notices this glowing orb is following him like a Foo Fighter. <laughs> and this thing heads into the plane and then it basically reanimates the dead crew into zombies. Zombifies yes. everybody. And the co-pilot gets killed and the pilot's like, I'm out of here. And he parachutes out of the plane. He ends up landing on an island where there's a bunch of other airplanes from various times. And then you find out that these planes are filled with zombies. <laughs> so the poor pilot is yeah. screwed. Damned if you do, damned if you don't. That's what that's what I take out of that one. And then that takes us to So Beautiful and So Dangerous. Tell us about that, Mike, or DJ Riss. Sure. Dr. Anorak, who is a, uh, a scientist, prominent scientist at the time, he's headed over to the, the Pentagon for a meeting regarding some mysterious mutations that are plaguing the country. Uh, at the meeting, the doctor tries to just dismiss the occurrences. Uh, one of the funniest lines that in there is when he tells everybody sitting at the Pentagon that the reason why this can't be happening is because everybody on planet Earth is the smartest beings in the Earth, or in the whole universe. And they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, but when uh, the doctor sees that the Loch Nahr is actually in a locket on a woman named Gloria, of course, she's a stenographer who's beautiful and buxom. Uh, he begins to behave super erratically and tries to uh, sexually assault her. And then at that time, a starship drills through the roof and abducts the doctor uh, and Gloria by accident. Um, and the ship's robot on the ship that came down is super pissed uh, at Dr. Anrak because we actually find out he's a android who's malfunctioning but the robot's mood immediately changes when he sees gloria because why wouldn't you um and then with the help of the ship's alien pilot and co-pilot the robot convinces gloria to stay on board and they have robot sex you don't see it but it's specifically implied because they even say they just had sex uh, meanwhile the pilot and co-pilot snort a huge amount of powder called plutonian nyborg which is basically just cocaine and then they start flying home and of course they're super high and they crash right into an unarmed huge space station so this one has a lot of things going on in this story um the alien pilot and co-pilot are voiced by Harold Ramis and Eugene Levy. And John Candy makes another appearance in yeah, this one. <laughs> doing their best Cheech and Chong. Right, yeah. It was uh, quite hilarious. I actually got distracted a little bit and looked down and looked up. And it was the scene where he was spreading the powder around the room. And then they started snorting it. So I was kind of wondering. I was like, what are they vacuuming? And now they're snorting up all the dust and the debris. He just... <laughs> Zambonied up, and then I realized what was going on. I was like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> so a bunch of drug addict aliens in this one. And I, I got to say, I was impressed by the robot's way of talking Gloria into marrying him. So that seemed pretty pretty smooth and debonair. <laughs> basically, basically just says, marry me, and she says no, and he says please, and she says okay. So... <laughs> You know, just like it always happens, just like yes. in real life. Yes. So, so realistic. And then that goes to Tarna. And now Lochnar is a big giant meteor, meteorite, when it crashes into a volcano <laughs> in another strange world. And then a bunch of people go up to see what's going on in the volcano. And then the volcano erupts, and green lava, if you will, sprays on everyone, turning them into a 
evil army. <laughs> <laughs> just, just like mom used to. Yeah, make. just mutates them. Yeah, and then they go on a rampage and attack peaceful people, and the the elders, city leaders, summon a once powerful uh, warrior race. Tarna shows up, this uh, mute warrior, one of the last of the breed, and then she finds everyone dead. So she goes off to avenge them and then uh, ends up seeing a bunch of the barbarians and killing them. (laughs) As one does. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But then she travels towards their camp and she gets uh, captured. As one does. Yeah, of course they torture her, throw her into a pit, and her uh, mount escapes and rescues her. And she tries to get the Lochnar, but then the barbarians pursue her and shoot her down. And then the leader of the barbarian mutants gets into a powerful duel to the death, wounding her, but then she manages to kill him. And with the last bit of her strength, her and her uh, companion make a death flight to the volcano. As they approach, Lochnar, the powerful glowing sphere, tries to say that claiming uh, sacrificing her would be futile, but she ignores Lochnar and unleashes the power in her powerful sword and dives into the volcano, destroying it. And that takes us to the ending. So tell us a little bit about the ending, Micro DJ Riz. Sure. So uh, as we get to the end here, the Lochnar, who was terrorizing the girl from the beginning, just kind of explodes. The girl gets out of there, and the Lochnar destroys the mansion in the process, um, which is the only part of the movie that is not animated because <laughs> of time restraints. They couldn't get that part animated so uh they blow up a model of the <laughs> of the mansion which is actually kind of kind of obvious as i was watching it. i was like okay all right they actually blew up a model of the mansion on this scene okay and then i find out it's because they ran out of time to uh animate that part and as uh she gets out she sees a reborn soul of tara's mount um which she happily jumps on without asking any questions uh, and she flies away, and as she's flying away, it is revealed that she is Tarna. She's got Tarna's soul, and has been reincarnated into this girl, uh, and she is the new Tarkian, and will be protecting a new generation as well. And she gets the badass sword tattoo on the behind her ear too, which is actually kind of cool. I would, I would yes. become one of those people if I got a badass tattoo. Maybe that like should that. be your next tattoo. Uh, an upside down red sword behind my ear. I'm in. Yes. So I'm doing it. Then you have to start calling me Tarna. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to make people do that. And they're not going to know why, except for people who listen to this episode. So what was your favorite story out of all of them? Uh, I think the, that last one with about Tarna, that one uh, had a lot more going on and you had to actually pay attention to what was happening. Plus there's a lot of He-Man vibes into that one which is what I enjoyed the most. Thunder like, the Barbarian, yes. <laughs> right, exactly. That's what I meant to say. So there was a lot of lot of that. And the fact that she was in the pit naked and then somehow got her clothes back uh, without them explaining that, that was pretty sweet. And uh, yeah, I just, I think that one was probably more, I guess, more full. I think that's the longest one of the whole movie, the story. But they actually took their time to tell a little bit of a story. And then you get you get a finality at the end with uh, the Lochnar destroying or getting destroyed, and then ultimately it destroys itself. Yes. So it sets sets up the ending just great. I think. Did you have a favorite story? 
something that bothered me was Den. Now they obviously okay. sent these out to had a bunch of different houses to animate them. Yeah, at the same the, time. But the inconsistencies in Den and the animation were horrible. I, they just like his scale was off, the coloring was off, the style was off. Did you notice that? I was wondering what color, like, was he changing color based on his mood or what was going on or what? Because he starts off as purple and then he's red and then he's kind of tan. No, but then the the queen's hair was changing color. Oh, I didn't notice that part. Yeah. And his features, like the styles were different. And it Like his cheekbones? Yeah. Like his facial structures, the style of the animation. It, that. That kind of drove me nuts. Yeah, I think, was that the one with the most animators on it? It had to be. I think it was. Uh, I, like the, it wasn't the biggest cast, but I think it had the most animators on it. Yeah, and some was just really bad, poorly drawn. And I, I know they have to draw a lot of stuff over and over, but just take your time. And then uh, Harry Canyon, I really liked the animation on that Mobius did. Yeah, that, that was pretty cool. It was that cool watercolor stylized look. I really like that. I was going to say the one that, uh, what's uh, so beautiful and so dangerous. I kind of got um, the animation on that. I kind of got uh, Fat Albert feels on that one. It was like that style Saturday of morning cartoon vibe. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Kind of, kind of like super friends. Kind of that. That's what it reminded me of the. Yeah. Yep. The real saturated colors. I, yeah, I like the animation on Captain Stern. That was fun. Yeah, that seemed like okay. This is a cartoon, and yes. it's a fantasy cartoon, yes. and this is you know. So we're gonna go a little over the top on this one. I think that fit. That one fit perfectly like that. Yes. for that story. Did you ever see the 1978 animated Lord of the Rings? I did not. Yeah, you should watch that. No, I is that kind of like the same style as like the Sword and the Stone or like the Disney back in the day? Yeah, it's it's kind of cool because you can see the influence in the animation from that, that 1978 film to, to this film. It was kind of cool. Awesome. I'm going to yeah. have to check that out. Yes. And I know I read that, uh, I think there was a couple of them, but I believe Tarno was one where they used retroscope, where they actually had yes. actors and models acting it out, and then they just overlaid those scenes and animated over those scenes kind of like tracing we would call it yeah. um and that's how they animated it which i thought was pretty pretty cool that they they did that i mean it seems like a lot of extra work just to animate something but i guess if you don't want to spend the time to try to come up with those movements yeah. <laughs> on your own what well, better way to do it than just yeah. animate it frame by frame well if you look at now with the, the ping pong balls the green screen and right even Same av- thing. even avatar you know they're still right. actual actors doing it they just right. animate it you think if they did a remake, uh, Andy Serkis would be heavily in this one? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he would he would be playing like thirty seven different roles, yes, and win an Oscar for each one. So, so what are what are your overall thoughts on this film? What are you what are you giving it um, out, out of five Lochners? Out of five Lochners, I'm giving it a four. Really, um, I am because enter so entertainment wise, it was great. Could they get away with making this kind of movie today? Probably not. They would get canceled in a heartbeat, but for what it was back then and for what I was looking for, you know, just to be entertained, it, uh, it was good. I think I'm giving it four Lochnors, Lochnors, because, uh, like I said, it was, it was entertaining. It was fun. It kept my attention and I didn't have my phone in my hand pretty much at any, at any point 
you know, or I wasn't like distracted enough to be like, okay, what's going on on Facebook while this movie's on in the background. So kept you interested. I think it it helps that each story was different Yes, and you had to pay attention to each one. It's not like you could like, okay, I'm going to check out for 10 minutes and just kind of catch up to what's going on. Cause if you checked out for 10 minutes, you were in a different story altogether and you missed the ending to the one you were just watching. So I think it was, it was, it was fun. I liked it. Yeah, it was cool. I liked the anthology. I liked it. Like you said, the, the smaller stories, so your mind doesn't wander as much. Right. I the, the different animation styles. That was cool. I liked, obviously, the soundtrack really brought the movie, made it come alive. You know, there's certain scenes, and right away you think of that song. Yeah, it was very good. What are you giving it? I'm giving it 4.5. Ooh, Lachnaris. give it the extra half. Yeah, maybe, yeah. You know, I... A lot of the animation, I cut them slack, though. I mean, obviously, they couldn't even animate the final scene, so. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which makes you think, you know, I don't, I don't know. Would you just cut that out, or did that, you know, I don't know if that would have made more sense. or. Well, I, I think you kind of, you have to kind of keep it because you can't you, have yeah, a Lochnar yeah, expand gotta, you, and look like it's going to explode and then not say yeah, what yeah, happened. Yeah, you got to wrap it up, so. I guess. I mean. Right. Because, you know, you, it's all about Hollywood and it's money and budget constraints and time and i get all that so right. i don't know i don't know if this is something you could go in and have a bunch of people redraw it or it would be impossible but like i the, think so like the little those little things popped out to me on den but i really i mean just nostalgia alone i loved it right now they were trying to re redo it in two like 2008 2009 and it just never took off paramount dropped it as a project and it just kind of has been sitting there and then uh it i believe there's kind of like a remake reboot series it might still be available on netflix but i think it's like three seasons but they're all you know like some episodes are six minutes long some are 22 minutes long so if you want to go watch it i know it looks like on rotten tomatoes they the first season got like 66 percent, and then the next two seasons progressively got worse uh ratings um, from rotten tomatoes which you know Take that with a grain of salt if you want, but um, there is other heavy metal stuff out there. Plus, then you had the sequel, Heavy Metal 2000, that came out. Yes. Which I think I'm going to track down and see what that's all about. Yeah, you should. See what you think. Yeah. It was definitely 1981, so it was a snapshot in time. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's a snapshot in time of what Canadians thought New York was going to look like in 2031. Or, or, or Frenchman. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, that is going to do it. I hope you guys enjoyed this powerful episode. We just ask you one thing. Please tell a friend about our podcast. Please follow us on social media, on Twitter, at Amazing Pop Pod. Like our Facebook page. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. And remember, this powerful podcast is available everywhere. Fine podcasts are found. Please leave a review, leave a rating. It really helps us. And until next time, you've just enjoyed the Amazing Pop Culture Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Amazing Pop Culture Podcast. The Amazing Pop Culture Podcast is available everywhere fine podcasts are found. Please leave a rating and review where you listen to podcasts. Like and follow the Amazing Pop Culture Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And shop our Amazing Pop Culture merch. This has been an Amazing Pop Culture Podcast production.